Welcome to another episode of Snapback Chat. On this episode, I am honored to bring the one and only New York Times best-selling author, internet legend, leader of the FOH Army, Shay Serrano. <laughs> Is that a good enough intro for you? Yeah, I'm fucking fired up right now. <laughs> awesome. Well, Shay has just announced the launch of his new PDF, Honoring Scrubs. It's coming out, am I correct, March 23rd? Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, cool. So I thought you were going to launch it on March 17th. That's 10 years to the date of the last episode that Scrubs last aired on TV. But I know you might, might have needed some extra time. But I do have a quick question before we dive into your rise to relevance in this world. What makes a a series that was 10 years old so relevant nowadays? Is it the nostalgia? What made you want to do Scrubs specifically? You know what? It's not even the nostalgia because I didn't watch Scrubs when it was on TV. It was like that was not a, a show that I was paying any attention to for whatever reason. I found it when it was on Netflix a couple of years ago. I just happened across it. Somebody mentioned, oh, you should check this out because whatever. Uh, so I started watching a few episodes and, and and Scrubs is really, really good about most of the time, it's just a silly show. They're doing, like, wacky, zany daydreams and, like, oh, this person fell down. Isn't that fun? Like, this sort of thing, right? But they're but they're very good about, like, navigating these sort of pinpoint turns where they'll go from something extremely silly to something very emotional. And it just happens faster than you can even sort of process everything that's going on. But they do it in a way that just feels – it feels really natural and organic because that's the way that – I mean, this is going to sound – dorky when I say it, but like that's the way that life works. It's not like a long build up to this big dramatic scene. It's usually you've just got some regular shit going on and then all of a sudden everything gets spun around and now you're dealing with like a very real thing. And and, and Scrubs to me is probably better than any other show at doing that thing. So when I'm watching it now, even on, on rewatches, I'm, I'm coming up on parts where I know they're sort of going to drop that emotional anvil right on your chest and you know it's coming, and they just—it still it gets you every single time. So I just uh, you know, over the years, over the different rewatches, I just developed a real fondness for it. It's like one of those shows you put on. Uh, it, you've had a long day, and you just want to unwind and sort of relax, and you put that on, and you know there's a familiarity there that feels good and it feels warm, and I just wanted to, to celebrate that. Well, the title of the PDF is Where Do We Think We Are? And that just is exactly what you're just talking about is it's a fun show. It's so hilarious throughout. And then in the flip, it flips a switch and it just becomes so serious, so surreal and really digs at you emotionally. Is that kind of why you picked that title? Yeah, that's that to me is the, the most iconic line on the show. Where do you think we are? It's just it's it's John C. McGinley putting on a fucking acting clinic. It's J.D., Zach Braff, doing the things that only Zach Braff can do where he can just sort of suck all of the gravity out of the room with a with a mind and with a look. Brendan Fraser is there just being Brendan Fraser. It's, it's, it's incredible. And to that point, everybody remembers that scene where Dr. Cox thinks he's showing up at his son's birthday party, and then we find out that actually he's attending a funeral, the, his best friend's funeral, and his brain has sort of tricked him into it. Everybody remembers that punch because it was such a 
just a visceral feeling and you're watching it and you can't help but like tear up a little bit. What, what, what most people forget, and, and again, this is a great example of why Scrubs was so good, was in the scene directly before that, immediately before, like a minute before, two minutes before we get this scene, we have Carla and Turk, this couple who, who are together, and they've been having this sort of B story about a mole that Turk has on his face that she wanted him to get removed and he wanted her to take his last name and whatever. It's like a silly thing. But in that scene, we see they zoom in on the mole on Turk's face and it's talking. There's a talking mole in the scene <laughs> immediately before the biggest gut punch on the, on the show. And, and it never it never loses any speed. It never feels like what's going on here. It just That's just what Scrubs is and what Scrubs does. So... Yeah, let's you know, let's take let's take a few months. Let's write up some stuff about it. Let's celebrate it. Let's celebrate the the people involved in the show and keep it moving. So we will March twenty third. Shay's PDF on Scrubs comes out. Check it out, SecretHeartGang.com. We will play some fun games at the end, more Scrubs related. But let's go back to where this all began. Rap yearbook. You release it. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's a hit. It's absolutely out of this world. Where did you get the inspiration for that? Was that something you always wanted to do? No, that was not. I didn't know. I didn't know you could write things for money. I didn't know people would let me write books. This was just straight up all, all by all by accident. The, that book wasn't even my idea. Honestly, the um, I had done this silly little project. It was a coloring book. There's a rapper in Houston named Bunty. It was part of uh, UGK, which is like one of the two most influential Southern rap groups of all time. And, and he's like a, you know, in Houston, he's a straight up deity, just sort of walking around in real life. And he reached out and he wanted to work on a thing together. I thought we were going to do like a UGK uh, biography. He said, no, I want to do something like kind of unexpected and silly. So I pitched him a, a coloring book with rappers in it because he knows everybody and like, you know, let's reach out to these people. Let's get their permission to use their face in this thing. And, and so we made that together. And the publisher who made that, Abrams Books, my editor there, this woman named Samantha Wiener, after we did the coloring book, they were like, hey, this, you know, this sold okay. Do you want to do another one? I said, nah, I don't want to be the, the fucking coloring book guy. Um, but, you know, if we have another idea, let's do that. And she said, oh, I've got an idea for a book that I've been wanting to do about rap. Every chapter is about the most important song of the year, and we'll start at 1979 and go forward from there. And, you know, after a bit of back and forth, we ended up doing that one. And, uh, and yeah, that one just sort of, that one took off in a way that we weren't expecting for sure. So did that correlate with the growth of your Twitter monstrosity that is and the FOH Army? or what? What's the timeline of wrap your book, you kind of gain relevancy, and, I mean, the book does incredible. And then now, like, I'm watching your Twitter today, you're selling out, you know, you're trying to hit 100 pre-orders every single day. I know you have the FOH Army. Like, talk to me about how that all came about. Yeah, that's, that was really the genesis of it. I think at that point, I'm just, I'm taking guesses here, but I think around uh, around then I had maybe forty thousand people following me. I've been writing for a couple of years, uh, you know, was slowly building it up that way. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, and when we did the coloring book, like my whole goal was to just try to get as much press as possible. You know, I want to get in Rolling Stone or or the, or the Los Angeles Times or whatever. And so that's all. That's what we were sort of angling for. That's what I was trying to do. And we were able to get a bunch of that. We even got it on TV in a few different ways. And and that's how we were trying to sell it with the rap yearbook. 
this again, again, all by accident. Uh, the publisher sent me the link. They were like, "Hey, the the Amazon link is up. Like, this is an, this is officially going to come out. This is going to be a real a real book. Congratulations, this whole thing." And I was like really excited about it and surprised. So I posted the link on Twitter, and I was like, "Oh, I told you I was doing a book. Like, here's the thing. This is this is true. There was not a cover for There wasn't any any information on there. I just had the title in my name, and I posted that just as a way to to show people. And I'll never forget. I posted that. I went to uh, my wife and kids and I were going on a trip to Corpus, which was a few hours from where we were living at the time. So we got in the car. We drove down there. I'm driving. You know, you, know, you don't look at your phone while you're driving. Uh, we get to Corpus. It's a few hours later. And I was going to show my sister the Amazon page. That's where we were going to visit. And when I pull it up, it's all of a sudden got a little sticker next to it. Amazon updates their sales rankings regularly. And if, you, if, it, if it moves a lot, it'll give you like a, a little bestseller sticker on there for the hour. And I noticed that we had gone from like the 8 millionth book on Amazon up to, I don't know, maybe 1,500 or something like that. And I realized right then, I said, oh, shit, this was a direct response to me posting this thing on Twitter. That's how we, we maybe, I don't know, you don't have to sell a ton of books to move up on Amazon because they do it so regularly. You could sell 20 books and move up a, a bunch. But I saw that it happened. I posted the link. People went and bought the link, and then the sales number went up. I said, oh, shit. I'm going to just do that this time. I went, I, immediately, my brain was like, oh, I started thinking about all of the Houston rappers who I had covered for all of those years in Houston. I started thinking about, they were never worried about trying to get big record deals and trying to like get in different magazines or whatever. That was like a secondary thing. What they were trying to do was just straight up sell hand-to-hand copies of their CD to whomever. I got the corner store. You go to the corner store, there's, there's a guy with a trunk open and he's selling CDs out of the back of it. I was like, oh shit, that's a good that's a good business model here because I don't need to sell I don't I don't I'm not gonna sell five hundred thousand copies of a book, but if I can sell five thousand, maybe I can get on the bestseller list and I've got forty thousand people following me on Twitter, so let me just lean on that and that's that's how all of that stuff started. That was the first time I, I saw like it work in an actionable way. I think it just speaks to the engaged audience they truly have. I mean, there's people with millions of followers who wouldn't be able to sell the amount of books, but it's the engagement comes from your authenticity. It's how genuine you are. You're an extremely humble person. You know what your roots are. You love, you know, tacos. You are who you are. And I think it's clear in your messaging that you're not trying to just make money off of this thing. You're trying to spread an unbelievable project that you made with Arturo, and I think people really appreciate that. Yeah, that's what I'm what I'm hoping for. I don't think anybody gets into writing to become just like rich or, or famous. Mm-hmm. I think mostly any writer you talk to, they're just, all they're trying to do is celebrate some stuff that they like, for the most part. There are other writers who like to tear stuff down. Uh, but me, I like to oh, here's the thing, I really like this movie, I want to write about this movie, or whatever. Which is why, that's how you end up with a whole project about Scrub, the TV show that doesn't have, like, the cachet of, of something like The Office, um, which has been off the air for years, but it's still, you can look on Netflix, it's, like, always in the top ten, or whatever. This is just a thing that I like, that I thought I like, and we just wanted to celebrate it. So, yeah, we're just putting it out there and sort of crossing our fingers and hoping people get it, because if they do, cool. If not, at least, you know, at least we made it. Totally. So 
you've done the rap yearbook, then you do basketball, then you do movies, and now the office and then scrubs. But you made the decision to essentially bet on yourself, right? And I think we just cracked profitability or break evenness as whatever you call it. Uh why'd you bet on yourself? Why'd you do it this way? Why um you're talking about why did we self publish the yes. scrubs one? Yep. Ah, okay. So we self-published this one because I sent out feelers beforehand to a few different either uh, you know friends of mine who are book agents or friends of mine who work in publishing and like hey this is a project that I want to do do you think I could sell this to to publishers and most of them were like wishy-washy on it maybe you can it's not that big of a show if you can sell it you're maybe gonna get you'll get a small advance thirty forty thousand dollars something like that and then you're gonna have to do all of the things that you do with a with a publisher so like media stuff maybe do a little tour um that sort of thing and i i knew i knew i wanted to do the thing uh, i knew i wanted to draw the stuff so i said well we can we can just do this digitally and do it ourselves and if we do it that way then uh, i don't get an advance i'm not gonna nobody's gonna pay me money up front to write the thing so i'm gonna have to pay out of my own pocket I got to pay Arturo to draw the stuff. I have to pay an editor. I have to pay a designer. I have to pay a fact checker, whatever. But I knew if I did that, and I'm just looking at the numbers here, but if I can sell, you know, if, if you can sell 5,000 PDFs at $20, let's say we're just taking all the costs out of it automatically. Um, we're just talking about just straight up uh, gross. And mm-hmm. Uh, so if I sell 5,000 copies at $20, that's $100,000 that I have right there to pull money from immediately. Uh, and I don't know, it just seemed like let's let's give this a try and, and see because I've got some people telling me the publisher will give me $30,000 or $40,000 to do the book. If I can sell 5,000 copies, then I'm probably going to make somewhere around that same amount of money. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to, to, to try it on, on my own and see what happens. Well, it sounds like, at least in the in the short term, it's been successful. So I've noticed that you always go the pre-order route. It hypes it up. It makes everyone feel involved. Did you learn that yourself? Did someone give you that advice when you decided to always have these larger pre-order launches? Uh, that Yeah, that came from when I was trying to make the bestseller list with the other books. And I asked, you know, how do, how do they pick the books that get on here? Because it's not straight, it's not just straight up sales. Uh, there's like a whole formula that nobody knows besides the New York Times. They're the only people who know how they pick the books. That's, the, mm-hmm. um, that's just the way the industry works. But one of the things on there was like a, one of the definite requirements was you have to sell a lot, of, a lot of books. And your best chance at making the list is if you, is the first week because they count up all your pre-orders as part of the first week because uh-huh. they don't officially sell until the book comes out. Um, so when, when I heard that, I said, oh, well, it, it makes sense to me then that if you're sending me the Amazon link eight months before the book comes out, why would I not spend those eight months pushing the book? Why would I not try to get, and, I, and you don't need a lot, why would I not try to get 10 pre-orders a day for eight months? That's 300 pre-orders a month. That's 2,400 pre-orders over eight months. I've already got 2400 in the bank. Now I just need to go find 2600 more in that first. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to yep. waste. I don't want to waste that time. So as soon as they told me this might help you get on the bestseller list, I said, "Well, I'm just, I'm just gonna 
I'm not gonna sit on my hands and do nothing. I'm gonna try to make something happen, and and that's how uh, that's how that sort of thing came to be, and it's worked out worked out well. That's awesome. That's really smart, and honestly, just a great insight into how that list works in general. All right, what would you say is your biggest goal with this specific PDF? Is it to sell a million? Is it to you know have uh, <laughs> is it to have a to be on a Scrubs episode when they bring the cast all back to you? What is what is the goal? Uh, no, my goal with this is the same as my goal with any of this stuff that I work on. I just I just want to spend some time with a thing that I like. Um, if it makes money, then awesome. That you know, I, I'm not opposed to that. If it sold a million copies, which is uh, which is an unfathomable number, that means we made twenty million dollars. Like this, <laughs> we're, we're talking about we're talking about very unreal things. But if it sold five thousand, or if it sold even ten thousand, that would be pretty pretty crazy. But ultimately, all that I wanted to do was make this thing that I could sort of show off and and be and be proud of. Awesome. All right, let's get into some Scrubs questions then. Uh, you're obviously a big fan. So we'll have a rapid-fire round, a cool rapid-fire round at the end. But first, what would you say your favorite daydream is from the series? My favorite daydream? Okay, so as the series went on, the daydreams started getting longer and longer. The first ones are just quick hitters. Uh, and then, But the further the series went, the more ridiculous they got and the bigger they got. My favorite one, which is it's the most ridiculous of all the daydreams. It doesn't even star JD in it, who mostly does it. This one is Carla and Turk. And Carla and Turk are, are having a kid, or they have a kid, and they're, they're, they are talking about, um, you know, is Turk going to be a bad dad or whatever? And then we get a daydream of him coming back from having picked pumpkins with his kid. And he's like, oh, yeah, it went great. And he turns around, and he sees a pumpkin in the car seat. And so he accidentally brought home a pumpkin instead of his baby. But the daydream doesn't end right there. It just keeps on going. Now we see him and Carla at home with the pumpkin, and they decide, this is a cute pumpkin. We're going to raise it as a baby. And then we get we just get, like, quick shots of them raising this pumpkin as a child all the way up until graduation, all up until high school graduation, maybe college graduation. I can't quite remember. Um, and they're old people now. They're with this pumpkin, and they drop it, and it falls, and it cracks open. And then it just keep it still goes beyond that. Now we see across the street a grown up Turk walking and that was the kid that the original Turk accidentally left at the pumpkin patch and he comes walking across the street and they're about to be reunited and then that Turk gets hit by a bus. And it's just the goofiest, dumbest thing, but I could not believe that they just kept on going further and further and further and further with it. Just really that one sticks out all of the time. And there's some great quotes in that daydream. Some epic yeah, ones. It's, yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Uh, all right, cool. Is this is a quick one? Is Hooch seriously crazy? He actually is. <laughs> uh, I was reading about like the real life version of him, and he went he went to prison. So yeah, he is. Yeah, I, <laughs> I want to say there was it was like a manslaughter charge. If I'm not mistaken, I wow. might be wrong there. But it was something serious, and because uh, we were gonna write about Hooch a bunch in the in the thing, because it's just a funny bit. And I started researching, uh, reading about the, the person. I'm like, oh, man, we should probably stay away from this. This doesn't seem like, you know, something we should joke about. Uh, so, yeah, I would I would guess he is, he is crazy. Wow, that's amazing. I had no idea. Uh, 
Which episode would you say made you obsessed with Scrubs? Not your favorite, but the one where you're like, all right, this is this is the show. I don't know if there's one particular one that made me obsessed with the show, but there's one particular one that made me really interested in the show. And that is the episode four of season one called My Old Lady. And in that one, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're only four episodes in the first season. And if you watch any TV show over an extended amount of time, by the time you get to season five or six, <clears throat> excuse me, the show looks completely different, totally different. Uh, but but Scrubs very early on figured out what it was and what it wanted to be, and so uh, there's no like gap in there. Uh, with episode four, it starts out with JD explaining this this stat in a voiceover about how one out of every three patients that walks into the hospital ends up dying, and this is separate of the maternity ward or or the ER or whatever. Um, but one, you know, absent uh, absent those numbers, one out of every three patients. And the hospital dies. And when he's explaining that, we see um, Turk and Elliot and JD all meeting a new a new patient at the same time. The screen is split into three. So the implication there is that one of these three people by the end of the episode is going to die. And they're all just like nice, normal people. There's a, there's a sweet old lady. There's a there's a younger kid. There's a uh, there's just a, like a regular woman. These are not like bad people. They're just good, wholesome, normal people. And you're just watching the show, waiting to see which one it is that's going to die. And then at the end, they all three die. And then JD comes back on and he says the stat again, one out of every three dies, but sometimes the odds are worse than that or something like that. And so you have to watch all three of these people all at once in a comedy. This is a comedy, by the way, where they just killed a kid and a a woman and an old lady all at once. And it's just like, God, dog, this is, this is nuts. And JD, he's the one paired up with the, with the old woman. And he's trying to, like, she's ready to die, and he's trying to talk her into fighting to stay alive, and he's doing everything he can, and she's just not, not having it. And then there's this, this really tender moment at the end where, because he's new in the hospital, and he can't figure out what's going on, but she tells him it's going to be okay, and whatever. And he just sort of, he's sitting on the bed with her, and he just leans into her, and she gives him a hug. And it's just like, oh, this, this hurt a bunch. But 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 it hurt like in an interesting sort of life affirming way. So that was the first episode where I, when I remember watching and going like, oh, this this show might be this is this show is going to do some things I had not expected, and that's always a fun feeling. The balance from the writers to write a true comedy and then have that emotional tug at you really is impressive in the whole series. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. All right, I have a fun game for you now. Uh, we're going okay. to combine your passion for basketball with your passion for scrubs. So we are going to do rapid fire. You have to give me your best NBA player comparison to these characters from scrubs. Okay. All right, here we go. First, the janitor. Oof, uh, Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> what about the Todd? Oh, the Todd is a... The Todd is a straight up criminal, like a sex criminal. So I don't wanna I don't wanna pair <laughs> Yeah, you don't wanna you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna sidestep that one. Yeah. That's probably a good decision. All right, what about Turk? Turk, fun guy, sweet, charming, very talented. Um I'm gonna go Kyle Lowry. Kyle okay. Lowry has some, some Turk energy to him. I would like to hang out 
with Kyle I can, Lowry. I can see that. Everyone loves to hate on Kyle Lowry online, though, outside of Raptors fans. Do you feel the same way about Turk? Like he gets a lot of crap? Oh, no, everybody loves Turk. Turk is, a, okay. Turk is beloved, which is how, in my head, Kyle Lowry exists. I see people talking about him online, but they're talking about him in a way where, like, because he, he got his championship, he was, like, an integral part of the team. Uh, he's an important player in the in the league, and I think that that sort of frustrates some people. So, okay. give me Kyle for Turk. All right, what about JD? JD, if we're going young, JD, uh, young, he's got everything in front of him. We're, we're we're watching, waiting to see him figure it out. Let's go with Dejounte Murray from my beloved San Antonio Spurs. Okay. What about older JD? Older JD, we're talking about end of the end of the show JD, where he has ascended into this sort of unstoppable, unstoppable force. We need a we need a we need a player who can do that, but also still has like some innocence in his eyes. Give me a give me Anthony Davis. He's been great okay. this season. Okay, yeah, he was awesome last night. All right, what about Carla? Oh, Carla, not taking any shit from anyone. Uh, <laughs> Car- Carla's role on the show is to, to bring a sort of seriousness to whatever she's in. Like, she can be funny. She has some really funny lines, but mostly she's there to ground everything. She's like the ultimate, just put this person in the scene, and the scene is going to be better. You can do it no matter no matter what. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here. I need a, I need a, I need a team first player. Uh, I'm gonna go Patrick Beverly. Wow! Every, te- every team that Patrick Beverly is on is better because he's on it. Because he's just gonna do the stuff that needs to get done. That's okay. I respect that. Who do you got for Elliot? Uh, Elliot, underappreciated, very talented. She's the only one who moved over into private practice, so she went and got her money. Uh, <laughs> Let's let's go with uh, with Damari Carroll. I okay. Like, I like the, I like Damari a lot. Okay. Uh, who do you have for Doctor Cox? Doctor Cox is is running everything, and you want to be on his good side. You want him to like you. You want him to feel like you're important. It has to be that has to be LeBron. He's he's that guy. He I feel like he could he could chew you out and just sort of break your spirit if you wanted to. But Dr. Cox is really good about doing that up to a line, but not getting all the way there. And then he pulls it back, and he gives you a little attaboy, and you and you're like, "Oh, that's this is great." Uh, you know, probably probably LeBron. Although LeBron, I I suspect young young LeBron, prime LeBron, or or a 35 year old LeBron. Pick which any, one? Pick any LeBron. They they okay. just, they line up they line up for his whole his whole entire run. Because again, Dr. Cox in his very first in the very first episode shows up and he's fully formed. He is who he was for the entire show. That was that was that was mainly what LeBron did. LeBron showed up in the NBA and was immediately great. Immediately. He developed some new tricks later on. He developed a post up game. He developed that jumper and he just became more and more lethal. Dr. Cox the same exact way. Okay. This is a random one, maybe an end of the bench guy. Beard face, aka beard face. <laughs> beard for say uh you know you could pick you could pick any you pick whoever the eighth person is on the knicks just look at their roster right now <laughs> and the eighth person is is that person 
Okay. Uh, well, I'm a Knicks fan, so the eighth person based off Mike Miller's rotations could literally be anyone on the entire team at any given yeah. moment. So uh, we'll just leave it up to that. All right, so Shea's starting lineup would be Kyle Lowry, Anthony Davis, LeBron, P-Bev, and Damari Carroll. Does that win a ring? Wait, what, what, what was my lineup again? La- you would have starting would be Lowry, A.D., so Lowry, Beverly, backcourt, LeBron and Carroll on the wings, and AD playing the five with Kawhi and the eighth man on the Knicks off the bench. I think that could win us a ring. If I, I've got Kawhi, I've got LeBron, and I've got Anthony Davis, we're fucking blowing everybody out. <laughs> we're not losing. We're not losing. All right, awesome. So uh, last thing. And maybe this would be your coach of the squad. Tim Duncan, 1-0. What do we say? We say congratulations to Tim Duncan, the highest winning percentage of any NBA coach in the history of the NBA. He's, he's, he's literally never lost a game as head coach, so great for him. He deals a big swing and a miss on the Mike Bloomberg endorsement. I wish that would not would have not happened. Um, but separate of that, the coach, yeah, I'll take it. All right, so Shay, I have two more things. I lied. One, we actually have Derek White, player on your favorite San Antonio Spurs, coming into the office in about 20 minutes. Is there a question I should ask him for the podcast? You should ask ask him this. Last year in the playoffs when we played Denver, we were in Denver, and Derek had a fucking monster game. A monster game. He had the kind of game that you want to see a young player have in the playoffs. Because when that game happened, as soon as it was over, Spurs ended up winning that game. As soon as that game was over, everybody on the little Spurs group chat was like, Derek just made the leap. He got in the fire, and he didn't back down. So I would like you to ask him, as a Spurs fan, speaking on behalf of all the other Spurs fans, can he please continue to do that every game? <laughs> because because he's, he's, he's a very important part of what the Spurs are going to be for the next five years and, and we feel like he can be that guy he can be that guy to get you that bucket when you need that win Derek can be that so please be that ask him to be that for me i might just use that recording to hype him up to get him ready for the podcast that was inspiring use it Derek, <laughs> if you're listening to this we in san antonio we love you that game in denver you're the fucking man I was losing my. I was watching a game in Los Angeles, and I was losing my fucking mind, just screaming your name. Please, Derek, be that guy for us all of the time. All right, awesome. So, a little surprise. We are going to buy five PDFs and give them away to our audience as a thank you for coming on the podcast, doing awesome stuff, being who you are. So, we want to get into the FOH Army. We want to help out anyone who might not have an opportunity. So, stay tuned. If you're listening to this podcast, you'll have early entry into that giveaway. But thank you, Shay. Uh, sacredheartgang.com March 23rd it drops but we need to fulfill 100 pre-orders every single day leading up so make sure to go check it out we need to get Shay up to number one on the list Shay thank you my man 